0: Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for joining. This episode of the Joseph Carlson Show, I think, will be a good one. So I hope you stick around. We're going to be discussing the subject of value investing. And in particular, because value investing is such a wide, broad subject, uh, there's so much to learn about it, I want to be focusing on one part of value investing, which is cash flows. What I've noticed throughout investing for the past uh, you know, four or five years, pretty, um, pretty hands-on, been doing this uh, basically full-time for like four years, is I think the biggest part of investing, literally what you're doing as an investor, is you're assessing what's important and what's not important. That's the basic discussion. About 90% of things, 99% of things are not that important. Frankly, most of the things that are going to be said and done today and talked about are not going to be that important. They're not going to change companies that much. The big stock surge in price of these companies don't really change the fundamentals. Uh, All the discussion on technicals and you know head and shoulders patterns and where where is the S&P 500 going to go tomorrow not that important and that's the big difficulty as an investor there's so many not important things that it's very difficult to find out what's important. What should I really put my time and attention to when looking at companies? And that comes back to the subject of value investing. I strongly believe that good value investors have the ability to filter out news with a very strong filter, where they can filter out 99% of the not important stuff and stay entirely focused onto the most important things. And when I try to figure out what are the most important things that they're focusing on, it all comes to cash flows. That is the major, most important focus. Out of everything that value investors look at, cash flows are the most important. For example, if you were to ask any half decent value investor, what are you buying when you buy a stock like this? What are you really paying for when you buy Amazon, Google, Microsoft, or Netflix? Many investors will have different different answers to that. But a value investor, a real hardcore value investor should invariably say, you're paying for the present value of all future cash flows that company will produce over its lifetime, maybe discounted for a certain risk factor. So that is really what a value investor is looking at when they make any investment. They're looking at the future cash flows. And all that financial jargon, the present value of future cash flows, is a way of saying that when you invest in any company, whether it's Google, Amazon, Microsoft, or Netflix, you're not just buying a streaming service. You're not just buying an office suite. You're not just buying YouTube. You're buying the future cash flows of the company. That's what you're paying for. Ultimately, when you buy a company, you're paying for the future cash flows that they will produce and return to the shareholder. And if you pay too much for that future cash flow, you'll lose money. If you pay underneath the value of that future cash flow, you make money. That is value investing summed up in one paragraph. So regardless of what category a stock fits in, whether it's an oil company or a financial company or a consumer defensive or yes, a tech company, any of them can be a value investment. The value investment is determined not on what category the company sits in, but on what the focus is of the investor. If the investor is buying a company, to pay for future cash flows at a discounted price to present value, then they are a value investor regardless of what category that stock resides in. And this is a discussion that I think is still being heavily debated today. There's many investors and people saying still today, if you invest in Amazon or Netflix or Adobe or Salesforce, you're not a value investor. You're just a growth investor. You're a hype investor. You're chasing momentum, right? These are tech stocks, not value companies. That's the discussion going on. In fact, we can even look at a clip. This was back in 2019, where Warren Buffett was kind of accused of the very same thing. They had introduced the investment of Amazon into Berkshire, and Warren Buffett was asked why he's going away from his value investing principles now into growth investing. And what investors in Berkshire Hathaway should think of that? This question is from Ken Scarbeck in Indianapolis, He says, with the full understanding that Warren had no input on the Amazon purchase and that relative to Berkshire, it's likely a small stake, the investment still caught me off guard. I'm wondering if I should begin to think differently about Berkshire looking out, say, 20 years. Might we be seeing a shift in investment philosophy away from value investing
1: principles that the current management has practiced for 70 years? Amazon is a great
2: company, yet it would seem its heady shares 10 years into a bull market appear to conflict
0: with being fearful when others are greedy. Considering this and other recent investments like StoneCo, should we be preparing for a change in the price versus value decisions that built Berkshire? That's the question being posed to Warren Buffett. Look, you're no longer sticking to your principles that Berkshire has had for the past five decades. Now you're buying Amazon, a growth company, not a value company, right? Right. And this was back in 2019 when Berkshire had one of their lieutenants buy Amazon at $1,800 a share. So over the past few years, the price has not moved much with this recent sell-off. Now, the presumption here again from this questioner, uh, investor in Berkshire, is you're not value investing here. Buying Amazon is not value investing. Let's go ahead and listen to Warren Buffett's response.
1: Yeah, It's interesting that the term value investing came up because I can assure you that both managers who, and one of them bought uh, some Amazon stock in the last quarter, which will get reported in another week or 10 days, uh, he is a value investor. Uh, the idea that value is somehow connected to book value or low price earnings ratios or anything, uh, as Charlie has said, all investing is value investing. I mean, you're, you're, you're putting out some money now to get more later on, and you're making a calculation as to the probabilities of getting that money, and when you'll get it, and what interest rates will be in between, and all the same calculation goes into it. Whether you're buying some bank at 70 percent of book value, or you're buying Amazon at some very high multiple of reported earnings, Amazon, the people making the decision on Amazon are absolutely much value investors as I was when I was looking around for all these things selling below working capital uh, years ago. So. That has not changed.
0: He just said that that purchase and the people that did it back in 2019 buying Amazon at 1800 a share are just as much value investors as I was, you know, that age buying companies below book value, right? Looking for those low, cheap companies. He doesn't see any distinction between the two based on some normalized earning metrics. So this is how Warren Buffett looks at value investing. And he continues on with this.
1: Warren and I are a little older than some people. Yeah, near everybody. (laughs) And we're not the most flexible, probably, in the whole world. And, of course, if something as extreme as this Internet development happens and you don't catch it, other people are going to blow by you. And I don't mind not having caught Amazon early. The guy is kind of a miracle worker. It's very peculiar. I, I give myself a pass on that. But I feel like a horse's ass for not identifying Google better. I think Warren feels the same
0: way. Yeah, we speak- They talk about being okay missing out on Amazon because they, they just didn't know. They didn't know it was going to be that big. But they should have found out about Google because they were paying for their Geico ads on Google and seeing a tremendous ROI using Google, way above every other advertiser. So they said they should have re, you know, figured out that Google was a good bet by then. But either way, that is how Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger view value investing. Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger have their own way of doing this. They have their own specialty. They like those consumer brands like Coca-Cola and... You know, Apple with the iPhone. These are consumer companies. They're also huge into the energy sector, which has exploded recently. So uh, Berkshire is doing really well right now. But there's other great investors that have a similar focus, but they also look at different categories of companies. Jeff Bezos is one of them. But the question still remains... What do we really focus on? I know a lot of investors are just blasted with information. We have P.E. ratios and price to sales and different valuation metrics. We have different things like the profit margins of the business. We have the revenue growth, the EBITDA, the free cash flow, the net income, the balance sheet, the dilution. You can't forget about the shares outstanding. It's important to know whether they're diluting you or doing share buybacks, right? There's all this information. So I was trying to figure out what should I really be anchored to? What should be the thing that should determine whether or not I stay invested in a company or move to a different company? And at this time, I was reading through a lot of Amazon shareholder letters. As you know, I've done research on the company and I've read through a lot of their shareholder letters going back to even in the early 2000s. And I noticed a very interesting common theme amongst these letters, something that Jeff Bezos was solely focused on. So let me go ahead and throw some of these letters on the screen. I'll I'll do little segments of the letters that I, I noticed this reoccurring theme in all of them, and I want to see if you notice the same theme. So uh, let's go ahead and start off with the letter in 2001. Jeff Bezos was running the company. This was right during the dot-com bubble, right after it. The stock was down like 80% or something like that, right? It was a, a bad time for Amazon. And regardless, Jeff Bezos wasn't focused on the share price. He didn't even mention the share price. He didn't seem to care. This is what he pointed out. Since we expect to keep our fixed costs largely fixed, even at significantly higher unit volumes, we believe Amazon.com is poised over the coming years to generate meaningful, sustained, free cash flow. Our goal for 2002 reflects just that. Okay, now let's go ahead and throw up the 2002 letter. This is what Jeff Bezos said in 2002. Third, our determination to deliver low price and customer experience is generating financial results. Net sales this year increased 26% to a record $3.9 billion. So as we just looked at, Amazon's revenueing now almost half a trillion dollars. Back in this point in time, they're only revenueing $3.9 billion, right? Different company in size and scale, but listen to the focus of, of what Jeff Bezos here is focused on. And unit sales grew at an even faster pace of 34%. Free cash flow, our most important financial measure, reached $135 million. A $305 million improvement over the prior year. Free cash flow is what he highlights as his most important financial measure. Now skipping ahead to 2004, Jeff Bezos does exactly what I'm talking about, where he filters out 99% of all the, the stuff, all the fuzz that goes on every day. And he explains why he's so focused on one thing. He calls it the ultimate financial measure. So I'll go ahead and read one segment from this letter. He says to our shareholders, Our ultimate financial measure and the one that we want to drive over the long term is free cash flow per share. Free cash flow per share. He explains why. He says, Why not focus first and foremost, as many do, on earnings or earnings per share and earnings growth? The simple answer is that earnings don't directly translate into cash flows, and shares are worth only the present value of their future cash flows. Sounds a lot like a value investor, right? Your shares are only worth the present value of future cash flows. He says they're not the present value of future earnings. Future earnings are a component, but not the only important component of future cash flow per share. Working capital and capital expenditures are also important as is future share dilution. So he does mention dilution there. And I think that's exactly why Jeff Bezos looks at free cash flow on a per share basis because that factors in dilution. So you can't dilute your way out of it, right? Right. He goes on saying, though some may find it counterintuitive, a company can actually impair shareholder value in certain circumstances by growing earnings. That seems insane. This happens, though, when the capital investment required for future growth exceeds the present value of cash flow derived from those investments. So there's lots of ways that companies can actually grow earnings that impair the future cash flow's For investors. And the one that he highlights here is saying that some investments that drive future earnings actually cost the shareholder more than what those investments are worth. They're basically investments that are not worth the money. And on the contrary, some companies just want future earnings right now and they don't make investments that are worth lots in free cash flow in the future. So the way that Jeff Bezos looks at every investment is based off how much free cash flow this investment will generate in the future. And the return on invested capital has to always be very high and above the cost of capital. Every time Jeff Bezos and Amazon wants to deploy capital into an investment, they want a greater return on the cost of that capital every single time. Now, this singular focus on free cash flow per share, this obsession over that one financial metric, it continues on through every single subsequent letter. For example, in 2006, he says, our financial focus is on the long-term sustainable growth in free cash flow per share. That's their financial focus. Free cash flow is driven primarily by increasing operating income and efficiently managing working capital and capital expenditures. In 2007, he says, your team of missionaries here is fervent about driving free cash flow per share and returns on capital. We know we can do it by putting customers first. I guarantee you there is more innovation ahead of us than behind us. And we do not expect this road to be an easy one. We're hopeful and I'd say even optimistic that the Kindle, true to its name, Will start a fire and improve the world of reading. They make these bets on different things like the Kindle, but it all comes back to free cash flow per share. In the 2008 letter, they say our primary financial goal remains maximizing long-term free cash flow and doing so at high rates of return on invested capital. We are investing heavily in Amazon Web Services and tools for third-party sellers, in digital media in China, and in new product categories. And we make these investments with the belief that they can be. Of meaningful scale and can clear our high bar for returns. Again, the the big focus here is always that free cash flow. And skipping ahead a number of years, in 2019, the letter says, when forced to choose between optimizing for appearance of our gap accounting and maximizing our present value of future cash flows, we'll take the cash flows. So Amazon does not optimize for gap accounting, which looks really pretty on different financial tools like Qualtrum Insights, right? They're not optimized to look pretty to investors. They're always optimizing for free cash flows. That's what the whole company's based around. So it seems like Jeff Bezos, and at least Amazon right now, still up until this day, has that singular supreme financial measure, which is free cash flow per share. That's what they're focused on. Not normalized earnings, not gap profitability. And in the meantime, at in some periods of times while they're making these investments, even though they assume they'll be great investments that we will generate more free cash flow in the future makes the company look very unprofitable for a period of time and this has been something that Jeff Bezos has been asked about repeatedly while running Amazon listen to this interview back in 2014 the interviewer here basically says can Amazon ever generate a profit and again this was back in 2014 the stock price at the time was 350 let's talk about profit Or, in your case, the complete lack thereof, famously. This Uh, is Henry's version of being nice to me. (laughs) So,
2: let's just establish this once (laughs) and for all. Can Amazon make
0: money? Well, um, yeah. He's asking this question in 2014, can Amazon make money? When up until this point, if you actually read through the shareholder letters, Amazon was generating lots of money and free cash flow from huge segments of their business. It's just that because it's not in the the financial statements clearly laid out in the 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 gap earnings they they look less profitable than they actually are and Jeff Bezos has to repeatedly explain how this works within the business listen to his explanation
2: yes and, and in fact we have uh, in the past and um, uh, you have to understand there are many ways of thinking about this but The reality is uh, that Amazon is a collection of several businesses and initiatives. And we have some very significant, uh, very profitable, uh, more established businesses that are free cash flow generating very significantly. And then fortunately, the way I think about it, we have lots of opportunities to invest in new initiatives And we take advantage of those opportunities. So it's kind of like we built this lemonade stand, you know, 20 years ago. The lemonade stand has become very profitable over time. But we also uh, decided to use our skills and the assets that we've acquired over time to open a hamburger stand and a hot dog stand and so on and so on. So we're
0: investing in new initiatives. So he gives the example that Amazon is like a company that invented the lemonade stand, and instead of just inventing the lemonade stand and then having it become profitable and then distributing those profits back to shareholders through dividends and, and buybacks and you know retained earnings and showing high gap profitability, uh, they used the actual cash flows from the highly profitable lemonade stand to make a hamburger stand and hot dog stand, right? They're making entirely new business segments from the profits of one part of their business. So the overall business, the owning part of Amazon, in aggregate, overall, looks unprofitable because all the cash flows from one part is being reinvested into another part. On paper, they can go to the to the taxman and say, look, we're not really profitable. All our profits had to go into reinvestments to run this business, right? They put money from one place into other initiatives that makes a company overall look unprofitable. Well, on a segment basis, many parts of Amazon are highly profitable. Now, this is a difference in types of businesses. Amazon, for example, is a spawner. It's a company that has that profit-making part of the business, at least many parts of it, and they continually spawn off new segments of business. There's many companies and very good companies, ones that I'm invested in that are a lemonade stand, they're profitable, and they're just fine being a lemonade stand. They're not spawning off any other businesses. Look at Domino's as an example. Domino's is the highly profitable lemonade stand, and all they're doing is sticking to their business, improving margins, improving their app. They're just compounding and opening up new, uh, new little Domino's locations. But Domino's is always going to be Domino's. It's, it's not an Amazon. They're two different investments. And if Domino's used its cash flows instead of to buy back shares, but to invest in entirely new businesses, new entire concepts and new different things. um, It would look less profitable, but it would be doing that on the basis of generating even more free cash flow down the road for the investors. So part of this is difficult, but this is the way that Jeff Bezos looks at it. He looks at Amazon as a highly profitable lemonade stand that invests in the hot dog stand. And the hot dog stand shows a loss until eventually it becomes profitable. Then he takes the hot dog stand and the lemonade stand and he invests into the pizza stand or whatever. That's the way that Amazon has compounded for a very long period of time. And the difficulty right now for investors trying to hang on to companies like Amazon is again, on normalized earnings basis it doesn't look it doesn't look great. Their EPS went into the negative, right? Minus EPS because of the Rivian stake and all that that stuff. But that's not really what Amazon's focused on. They're the lemonade stand and the hot dog stand, and they're trying to make a pizza stand here. And you can see that by virtue of their free cash flow. Free cash flow negative over the trailing 12 months. Lots of, lots of investors will say, this is terrible. This is not what the company should be doing. They should be highly profitable. And I disagree. And I feel like this is still value investing. I look at the investments in CapEx that Amazon is doing over the past year doubling their fulfillment centers, investing heavily in AWS and the future technologies. And I think that Amazon even spending $60 billion in cash flows on these investments will continually earn a high return on invested capital, far more than the price of that capital. So the way that I look at Amazon as an investment is one where I have to have a long-term mindset. I'm buying into a company where the company itself is making big significant bets with a ton of money with the end goal of having future free cash flow on a per share basis. That's what the end goal of this is, to have a future free cash flow per share growth. I think Amazon can do it. That's the reason that I continue to hold the company. So again, there's a lot of things that investors can focus on, and that's the challenge of a value investor. I think a big part of it is just filtering out 99% of the news and the buzz and, you know, the drama of the day as stock prices trade up and down and focusing on what's important what you're doing as an investor as a value investor you're buying future cash flows and i think that personally two of the biggest questions we should ask ourselves when making any investment is how much free cash flow is this company going to generate in the coming years and how much am i paying for those cash flows that's what i'm doing with amazon when i look at the company right now it's trading for 1.1 trillion and i think that the company if it halted many of its capex investments that are just future investments if it wanted to be highly profitable I think Amazon could generate 60 to $80 billion per year in free cash flows. And it's trading at $1.1 trillion, which means it's trading at around 14 times its free cash flow generation. That's my opinion on the stock. And at 14 times free cash flow, I think that's incredibly cheap for a company like Amazon. We can compare that to another company right now. Google's another company that I think is undervalued. I'm bullish on this company. It's a major holding. Trades at a 24 PE ratio, which is what most investors focus on. But if you look at the cash flows of the company, Google last year generated $67 billion in free cash flow, $67 billion, and the company trades at $1.5 trillion. So around 20 to 22 times its free cash flow. So even Google, in my opinion, is more expensive than Amazon. On a normalized gap profitability basis, if Amazon was to pull a lot of their huge CapEx investments for bets for the future, I think that Amazon's a cheaper company than Google. That's the way that I'm looking at these companies. And I can say the same for every company in my portfolios, both of them. With Google, I'm looking at the free cash flow. With Microsoft, I'm looking at that. With Netflix and Alibaba and Adobe and Salesforce, I'm investing in companies that I think will continue to generate long-term free cash flow per share growth. And I wanna buy those future free cash flows for as cheap as possible. So that's my thoughts overall. I hope you enjoyed the video and I'll see you in the next one.